What's up everybody? Welcome to another edition of the I'm Curious to Know Project. Daily conversations with world-class athletes, innovators and unique personalities from the endurance sports world. Today's guest is an icon in her sport. Many consider her the toughest athlete on the planet. Courtney Dewalter is an ultra runner and following an outright victory at the Moab 240 race in 2017, her story was cast into the spotlight with an appearance on the Joe Rogan Experience and a feature in the New York Times. Since then, she's gone on to win the Western States 100 and the UTMB. But as you'll hear, Courtney doesn't remember races for the victories. She remembers them for the moments, the simple joy of running and the joy of connection. She's also fiercely competitive. When the gun goes off, she wants to win. And I believe that's what makes her so fascinating. She loves to run and the winning comes from that. I also get a sense that she'd be okay if the racing and the accolades all went away. I appreciate Courtney for joining the show. And if you've ever wondered how you could possibly do what she does, you'll need to listen to the end of the show. Her advice is gold. I was so amped up following the recording that I had no choice but to put my shoes on and get out the door for a run. Please enjoy the show. Courtney, how are you? Great. How are you? I'm excited to have you here. And I, uh, I kind of was really thinking about what I wanted to talk to you about. And there's so many questions I have around mindset and mental preparation and physical preparation. And I feel like that has been done to death. So I want to be careful of that. I want to strategically ask you those questions. But I also want to be respectful that you as a human being have so much more to offer than answering the same questions over and over again. <laughs> you give me too much credit. I do want to give a shout to the crew at Sufferfest Beer as well. We had Caitlin on the show earlier in the month. Um, she was fantastic. She shared the story of how Sufferfest came to be. And I know that you're uh, you know, a, a Sufferfest athlete. You love the product. I love the product. Um, they were going to send me beer and we, you and I were going to kind of have a cheers here. It never arrived, but they did send me this cool patch. So that's going to have to do for now. Oh, perfect. You can't drink a patch though. I can't drink a patch. <laughs> Shout out to Jessica <laughs> and Caitlin for, uh, for introducing us. So thank you so much for that. First question, I put in the show notes, I, I, uh, I talked about Moab 240 as your most notable victory. And I was quickly corrected uh, via email by some, some of your fans. You know, they were, they were frank about the fact that it was a newer race. There wasn't as much deep competition. And my retort to that was it was probably the most publicized victory. You had Joe Rogan, you're in the New York Times. There's all of this press from mainstream that is gathered because of that particular event. But I wanted to throw it over to you. What do you think is your most notable victory? Uh, and it come and have it come from a personal point. Oh, <laughs> I have no idea. I um, the the races that stand out or the moments that stand out for me are always the ones that are like wrapped up with you know, the crew I'm with, or maybe a pacer and, um, you know, a stretch we do together during a race or, um, even like I've dropped out of now a couple races and those are highlights for me because of what they taught me and, um, you know, how they helped me steer my course a little bit better. So I don't think I have like a favorite victory, um, mm -hmm. or a favorite even finish line necessarily. It's, there's too many hours of running to choose one tiny moment. Okay, great. That's out of the way. We can move on from that. Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> so you brought up something really important that I do have here that I want to touch on, the support crew. I had Alex Diebold, who's a US snowboarder on the show, and he talked about the team behind the team. I'd love to hear about the dynamic 
around the crew and the team and how important that is to uh, ultra running? It sounds like this individual sport, you know, running 200 miles or 100 miles, whatever. Um, but it's definitely a team effort. And, and I'm so lucky to have my husband and my dad, who's come to a couple now, and some friends who always, you know, are ready to give up their weekends to, to come support that. And we just have a blast with it. It's um, nothing very serious, you know, just cracking jokes the whole time. And they all enjoy each other's company. Um, but then they've also been with me through a lot of these races. And so they can just look at me and know, you know, what's going on in my body and in my head. And and we don't have to communicate a lot. I actually, like one of my requests is one, beer at the finish line. And two, don't ask me how I'm doing. You could probably guess how I'm doing at mile 170 out of 200. So like, let's just not even bring it up because there's, it doesn't help anything to talk about how bad it's hurting. It's just one of those things that now we know you don't talk about it. And, and you also don't talk about the finish line until you're at the finish line. There's obviously best laid plans you know, thrown out the window as soon as the gun goes off. But tell me how much preparation and planning goes into what, where, how, um, and then talk to me about how you have to problem solve. Yeah, so I'll do um, a medium amount of planning beforehand where um, basically I'll look at, you know, which aid stations can my crew get to and what's the difference in mileage, so how far am I going and then my planning is just all then write down on like a scrap of paper somewhere. Like aid, this aid station, here are the things that I think I want. Next aid station, here are the things I think I want. But it's like organized to me. Um, but then my husband, who's, I mean, his brain is like a computer and just a running spreadsheet of everything all the time. You know, he'll look at then the course profile and He'll do more time estimates of when he thinks I'll get certain places and he'll have all the like details worked in. <laughs> so yeah. he does a little bit more like logistical planning um, just because he's the one usually driving the car to get to these aid stations and trying not to get lost or, or be late. Uh, but yeah, then there's always problem solving where I get lost or they get lost. We miss each other. Food's not staying in that I predicted would stay in. So we have to make a new nutrition plan. Yeah. Or just general fatigue or, uh, any of the other things that might happen during many hours of running. All of them are just very calm, like fun, loving humans. And so even when we're problem solving, it's never this a frantic feel. It's just like, okay, well, that is too bad that you're throwing up. So what should we try? Well, it's probably like anything actually really, like the more times you go through it, the better you get at something. So the ability to, you know, have something go wrong, it, something works, you've got a solution for next time, or you've been through those experiences. How are you able to replicate those outside of a race? Yeah, I don't usually try and replicate a lot of that during training. And maybe that's my mistake. I'll usually do quite a few ultras throughout the year. And yeah. from doing those, I'm just hoping to gain more experience and more knowledge of, you know, what are possible solutions? What are problems that I have that I can work through? you know, that initially feel like, oh, this is the end of it. Um, yeah. So just gathering more evidence like that is what I try and do during the ultras that I race. 
and then take all that to the next one. What about training? You know, obviously you mentioned you race quite a few times throughout the year. So my guess is that you're just maintaining throughout those periods, you're recovering, you're, you're then building up to whatever that next event, probably working on some specifics about what that event covers. Yeah, it depends a lot on what the races are that I'm in between. 50K races and 50 mile races for me now are, are just long training days. So I'll usually train right through them, not really taper, not really go into it with expectations of feeling that fresh. Because normally my targets for the year are the 100-mile races or 200-mile races. So if I'm in between those those shorter ones, it'll be business as usual. I average about 100 miles a week of running, and then I'll do some cross-training usually. If it's like leading into a target race, um, I'll start to taper maybe a week or 10 days out where I want to show up feeling as fresh as possible. We talked about my kind of background a little bit in my uh, sporting history and multiple Ironmans, multiple marathons. And it seems absolutely ridiculous that you would be able to say a 50 miler is a long training day. How does someone get to the point where 200 miles is manageable? For me, it's just been consistency, like slowly building up over the years. I think I did my first 50K in 2012. And here we are now, 2020, at 200 miles. So it's been a slow build of consistently getting out the door and um, continuing to wonder, you know, how much farther can we go? Talk to me about that because you have signed, you had signed up or you had targeted a couple of races this year. The first two have been cancelled and we're all in that same position. And I've seen that you've talked about adventures and getting on these adventure runs and just going out and exploring. How are you reconciling that? that part of of the year what well, has become evident this year so far is that i just love running and training um because i haven't raced all year and now my entire summer is clear of races um, but i still am finding that just getting out the door and exploring is really fun or you know figuring out what sort of adventure or new route i can you know aim for is a fun target it's a bummer, but it's the reality of, of everyone's year right now. And so I think we can make the most of it by, you know, exploring what's already around us. You don't have to travel to a race and pin on a bib to have a really awesome day. Curveball or left field question. If you have one, if you could run one route for the rest of your life, what would it be? Well, oh, man. Can it be a really long one? It can be whatever you want it to be. I'll say the Colorado Trail. It's like 500 miles through the state of Colorado. So if you're going to limit me to one, that gives me a lot of options. <laughs> just keep doing it over and just back and forth. Back yeah. and forth. <laughs> Is that something that's on your list to do this summer? Maybe. Yeah, I have not done it. I've done sections of it, but it runs from Durango to Denver, and it's approximately 500 miles. And trying to do it all in one go would be really cool. To um, I've never gone that far and I think it would be interesting to see what happens on days three four five six seven you know yeah. of running I'm eyeing it for sure we'll see what well, happens you heard it here first folks yeah. uh, <laughs> golf this summer is the Colorado trail there's the scoop <laughs> <laughs> and that's uh, it that's a wrap <laughs> that's it we're done um that's all we needed for the today um now tell me about the shorts you have this signature look that probably doesn't scream runner really or a serious <laughs> runner i think uh i've always just preferred the longer shorts growing up i always wore them um so when i 
started doing ultras, I was just wearing my normal clothes and that was, you know, longer shorts and looser fitting t-shirts. It's just a comfort preference for me. I'm running really long races, so I'm not worried about aerodynamics. <laughs> and and uh, I think, you know, fidgeting with your clothes the whole time because you're uncomfortable in them is is wasting time. So I'm going to wear what feels good for me. I actually want to go back to this 500 mile idea. Let's talk it through. Like, how do you think you would actually facilitate something like a 500 mile run or even some of the longer events that you have done? What are some of those complexities that you would face? One of the things that I would probably try and reach out to a bunch of people who have done multi-day, you know, really long efforts would be figuring out sleep. I don't think you can stay awake for the 500 miles. I think the record right now for it is right around a week. You know, just pushing on wouldn't be the smartest and nor is it really physically possible. And so I would try and gather a lot of information, I guess, about, you know, what people's strategies have been or do you go on a schedule? Do you just sleep on a rock when you're tired or, you know, how does that look? Yeah, then it would be about making sure I feel like confident in, in keeping my feet happy. I think for long stretches like that, you've got to um, have, you know, pretty content feet to keep asking them to move another 100 miles, another 100 miles. So making sure I feel good about the gear choices that I'm making. You talk about that kind of, it's a a form of resiliency really is like building up your tolerance to stuff like that. So your feet getting used to it and things like that. How much has that played a part in your progression of, you know, building that resiliency over time in in some of the little things that people wouldn't necessarily think about? Oh, a ton. I mean, every ultra I've ever done is just accumulating a little more knowledge and a little more uh, physical capability, I think. I often picture it also as like a pain cave where I'm just chiseling away at it, making it a little bit bigger so that the next time, you know, I can go farther into it and, and see how much more I can chisel out of it. All of it is accumulating and, and it's all these little things, you know, like figuring out what nutrition stays or what gear works for you or, you know, building up the distance slowly. But it's like a long game. What are some of those things you're able to tell yourself? What does your inner voice say when you're going into that place, when you're going into the pain cave and you're having to reconcile with yourself in that moment to be able to continue and keep going? Usually I remind myself that I'm fine and that this is going to be okay, you know, whatever I'm doing or feeling at that moment. And I've been trying a, a strategy in this past year where it's almost like a celebration to get to that place because you can't snap your fingers and, and just arrive at this pain cave place. Mm-hmm. You've done something pretty cool to get there and you're working towards something, you know, big to be there. So like, sweet, we made it to the pain cave. Now we can actually go to work and like start chiseling, you know? Yeah. So I think it's, um, our brains are so powerful. And if, if you just, you know, tell yourself, something that helps you something positive or flip the script or whatever, you know, I think it can be huge for um, continuing forward and, and your body will follow where suddenly you feel good again. And, and it's no problem. (laughs) Do you you work off any particular mantras or is it just a feeling of celebration and you kind of just ride that wave or do you have certain things that you say to yourself in those moments? Usually it'll just be, you're fine. Keep going. 
Britton Barbie, who was a guest on the show, uh, he's got an amazing story. He's, he's starting his endurance journey. His question was, beyond the grueling physical and mental pressure that you endure, what challenges on your fitness journey do you face? What do you struggle with that most would assume that you wouldn't? My first 100-mile race, I dropped out of it at mile 60 because I basically convinced myself that I was not meant for this sport and not capable mm -hmm. of finishing. Um, so I got stuck in this negative loop and I was, you know, not ready to mentally battle the negative voices. And so when they were just repeating over and over, you know, what a joke, what are you doing here? This sport isn't for you. You can't make it to the finish line. I gave in to them and I uh, quit that race pretty quickly after those voices arrived. And yeah. so that was a big learning experience for me in uh, the power of our brains. I I didn't understand it before. You mentioned a couple of times now races that you haven't finished and being a really good learning. How quickly are you able to take the lessons from those experiences and then move on from them? I guess so that first hundred that I dropped out of, I was pretty bummed about it for a couple of days and already had decided, you know, I wasn't going to listen to those voices and I was going to sign up for another hundred and finish it. And uh, then it was about a year process of signing up for another 100 and then, you know, building up, trying to be smarter about it and then doing that 100. And then I dropped out of Western States last June, which is a 100 mile race that was due to an injury, basically from neglect of any like body maintenance or strength work. I just ran. So that one, I think I let myself be bummed about it for two days and then I just switch gears to problem solving mode. How hard is that for you as an uh, as someone who loves running so much and all you want to do is go and run, that there are these other elements in the sport that you need to take care of and prioritize? Yeah, I mean, before it obviously was because I never did them. <laughs> now I love it. I think, you know, that was a really good wake up call for me of asking my body to do this much all the time. You know, I got to give it something back. And um, I'm hoping, I, I haven't really had the opportunity to see, but I'm hoping that it just makes me stronger and more able to, you know, keep pushing during those hard moments. So yeah. we'll see. But yeah, lots of, uh, lots of body weight exercises and like core work now. I was so bad at that. And I'm even worse now when I was racing was there's so much time that has to be dedicated to actually doing the training that, the first, the last thing you want to do is like do your gym work or your foam rolling or taking care of those things. You talked about strategy earlier and the strategy of kind of getting your crew ready and pacing. And, and another event that I'm really intrigued about is this last man standing type of event or the, you know, Bigs Backyard Ultra that you had some, some great success in. Tell me about that, the, the strategy that's involved in that and how that's different from just a straight go to woe race. Why are you curious about it? Great question, Courtney. Thank you. Um, I saw, so I went and saw uh, a, a mutual buddy of ours or someone that you know, Jesse Itzler and, and Mark Hodelik and Mark Brown, go and do Last Man Standing in Maine last year. So I was there for a few hours. Um, we were in Maine at the time, so we went to view. Uh, I went to watch. And I was so inspired. I was so moved by the effort, how in the zone everyone was, how fun it was as well. And I was totally inspired and moved. I signed up pretty much immediately after that. I had one year and I'm like, this is so much time. I'm totally fine. I don't have to worry about getting training too much. Started a little bit. And now the last four months have been an absolute shit show for me physically, 
we've got a new baby, all these things. So I'm literally, this was last week was the first week that I ran without pain for as long as I can remember. Now and just I, don't overdo it. <laughs> right, I'm going to take my time. I've, been, I've started with my run walk, so I'm totally fine there. But cool. I want to hear, I want to hear your experience as a like interested spectator and fan of, of what you did there. Uh, and then maybe tap into some knowledge that I can use for myself as well. Yeah. Oh man, the format is so cool. It's, I mean, it's wide open for each person in the race to find their own limit and to see what's possible. And, and that's pretty special to have at an event. Um, it's also like this crazy, wonderful community event because um, normally in the long races, you get really spread out. Like you don't see another person out there, which feels awesome. Um, but to come back every four miles and to, you know, sit at the camp area with everyone else in the race and then start again is pretty cool. So you're going to love it. I'm excited that you're doing it. I had a blast. I've only done one of these um, and it was two years ago and um, it was in Tennessee. It was set up on a trail during the day and then on a road at night. So really trying to make people, you know, maximize their distance by making the night section pretty mindless and then uh, still putting them on a trail during the day. But yeah, I think um, you have to go into it just with the mindset that you're going to continue. Don't get attached to a mile number. Like if you get attached to a hundred miles or 50 miles or, you know, some goal like that, I think when you reach it, it becomes really easy then to, you know, feel like you accomplished something and then stop. And then you're not actually finding your potential because you, you said it beforehand and, and that was that, you know? So like to go into it with the attitude that you're just going to keep lining up until it's physically impossible for you to make another four mile loop on time is a pretty cool way to, to see what's possible. Did your mental uh, approach to that race, does that differ from a race where you're trying to go as fast as you possibly can? Yeah, for sure. The speed is uh, irrelevant. All you have to do is four miles an hour. And then again, it's a patience game for sure. And yeah, you're not trying to win the lap. You're not trying to like get a certain time for the lap. You're trying to pick the pace that feels really sustainable and then just hold that and not get ahead of yourself in your head. A lot of times in these, you know, no matter the distance, if you, if you start to like picture how far away the finish line is, it can feel really overwhelming and, um, you know, put it like a chink in your armor and, and mentally, you know, bring you down. So if you can just stay in the moment in a race like that, it can be really valuable. Did you have moments in your experience where you, the last thing you wanted to do was get out of the chair and you had to like really will yourself to get up and get on the start line? Yeah, I was struggling in the the last night. I think I made it two and a half days, but yeah. that's when it's the cool part. Did it come earlier than you expected? I had in my mind that I wanted to be in it at the end. And so um, it was less about the distance we were accumulating and more about the number of people who are doing the lap still, um, because you're you know nowhere near the end when there's still 15, 20, 30 people going out on a loop. What I've realized now is that you actually, like to see your potential, I think you need 
more people. The more people you have towards the end, the better it will be for everyone. Because if 20 people are still lining up at 200 miles, you know, you don't even bat an eye about it and you don't even start to think of being done because there's still so many people left. So I think it's a cool format in that um, you could really like lift each other up and make each other better if you have, you know, a group dynamic going at the end there. That's a really interesting way of looking at There's probably a part of you that's, you know, you're doing a quick count at the start line celebrating or kind of giving yourself a check when, you know, there's a couple of less people. But as you described, it, you don't want it to happen too quickly because then all of a sudden you start to probably dread the fact that, oh, we're getting close to the end here. Yeah, or like you you keep thinking, you know, maybe this is the last one, maybe this is the last one, and then it's like it'll drive you insane. What was it like when it was just the two of you and you kind of get there and you, you eye each other off, I guess, at the at the start line and you're like, okay, here it is. The, the race has started now. I Unfortunately, I didn't last too many laps then, um, so it was – down to myself and Johan Steen, who's um, a Swedish runner, who's, you know, really experienced in multi-day runs and just an incredible athlete and human. We weren't messing with each other at all. Like there were no head games or, you know, any of that. We were both kind of just in the zone and he, uh, he would run a little bit ahead of me and we had our paces figured out and it was all good. But uh, then after basically now it's been a year and a half or whatever since that race and he hasn't let me forget that I ruined the game because I stopped early so um the rules are that the winner only gets to do one more lap and then it's over so Johan didn't get to find out you know what he could do that day because I stopped early and and ended the game I know that's on your calendar again for later this year is that correct that's correct yeah so that's a mid-October race and we'll see by then if if races are back in action. So I'm in the, I'm in a virtual race right now. I'm actually uh, well and truly behind given my injuries, but I signed up for the great virtual race across Tennessee. The cool. I'm in it. I'm still in it. We're, we're a little bit behind, but we'll, we'll keep moving here. There's so many virtual options and people coming up with really creative and interesting ways to keep people moving. And my assessment is it's great. Like people are probably going to do more. It's going to give them a reason to get out of the house when they may not want to do that. What's your kind of take on the whole virtual uh, phenomenon that we're kind of seeing? Yeah, I agree with all of that. I think um, it's been a really fun way to see race companies get creative and, um, you know, how are they going to make a challenge that people want to sign up for? And um, it makes you feel like you're with people again. And I think running is a social sport. People love, you know, gathering with the community and hanging out and even though we're all apart it's it makes it feel like you're together so i think it's pretty cool how have you been able to kind of uh deal with that fact that you know you may not be able to go out and run or meet your buddies for a beer or get together with your community probably the same as a lot of people i mean just hunkering down and and riding out the storm and yeah spending a lot of time on zoom <laughs> <laughs> I I feel really lucky. I mean, Colorado never shut down its trails. It never told us that going outside, you know, was limited or that we shouldn't do it. And so getting out and exercising and still having the trails has been uh, really wonderful. Yeah, we've been lucky here too. There's, you know, we've been able to get outside and explore a little bit and 
find out why they haven't closed everything down. So, um, but I'm, I must, I must say I'm, I'm excited about like getting together and running with friends or riding with friends when it's appropriate. And I miss like sitting down at coffee shops and having a coffee or going and having a beer somewhere. So whilst I'm dedicated to finishing the process of, of seeing this through with this isolation, I'm, I am excited to get together and give people a hug and high five again. Oh, those hugs are going to be so good. Right. I, it's funny. I watch like, I've been, you know, you watch a TV show or a documentary or something and someone gives someone a high five or a hug and I'm like cringing going, don't, oh, don't do that. And then you're like, <laughs> no. oh, this was before, this was way before. Yeah. Or we see all the like, you know, restaurant foods and different shows and stuff. And we're like, oh, yeah. sushi, <laughs> oh, oh, Thai food. <laughs> Have you guys been able to cook at home? Like, is that something that's been a part of your repertoire before this? Or has that been a big shift for you to have to kind of you know, work on your culinary skills at home. No, we're not big cooks. And no, we have not worked on that during this time. <laughs> <sighs> oh, it's like it. a frozen pizza a couple nights a week. Um, yeah, grilling season is here finally. So throwing yeah. everything on the grill again, which is fun. This has been awesome. I really appreciate your time. Your insight's been great. Your your energy is awesome. Um, I think that, you know, you know this, but a lot of people look up to you. A lot of people see you as a bit of an icon in the sport. And I feel very privileged to be able to have this conversation with you. I want to, I do have three questions I'm going to ask and I'll get to those in a moment. But I wanted to ask one final thought from you for anyone who may be watching who thinks that, you know, running's not for me or that I could never do anything like that or, you know, Courtney's crazy, quote unquote. I'm sure, you're, I'm sure you're sick of hearing that as well. But tell me, you know, do you have any advice for someone who's looking and inspired or moved by your message that may want to get into running more or pursuing ultra or trying to find their limits or anything like that? Just start. You've got to just start and um, be really patient with it and, and be consistent. So just continuing to, you know, chip away at it, like plug away at it little by little and um, you'll be sitting there one day and you'll look back at your journey and be so surprised by it. I, I saw it happen firsthand with my husband who, um, when we met, he struggled to run five miles and now he's done a couple hundred mile races. And that was just like nothing magic, you know, just slowly building up and putting in the, the days and the miles. Final questions. Uh, first one. What's one thing that's changed for you during this lockdown period that you want to keep once we move into whatever our next phase of normal is? Staying in better touch with friends who are far away. I think like my family and, you know, friends who live in other states, we've suddenly now do like Zoom happy hours all the time and play games on Zoom. And I think that's just so fun. And I don't know why we weren't doing it before. What's the favorite game on the Zoom happy hours? I don't know. There's like a psych one. Okay. It's an app on your phone. We also will set up with my family like actual board games and yeah. uh, play those over Zoom. Anything's possible. I love it. Get creative <laughs> with your games. I love that. Who's the, who's the competitor out of you and Kevin in those, in those situations? I'm guessing it's you. No one really cares. I mean, we're all playing it to have fun. That's not the answer I expected. You got to work yeah. your cost. Uh, second question: What's one thing you thought was important before this period, this COVID isolation lockdown period, that you're happy to leave in the past? I guess um, I've grown to like 
really know and love my area more. I think we, I traveled a lot before and, um, you know, a free weekend meant it was a weekend that we should go somewhere and, and do something, but I've loved exploring where I live more and, and because we were forced to be here, it, it made me appreciate it more. Third and final question. What's been your most memorable moment of joy during this period? Probably hanging out with Kevin. It's just he and I, we're stuck together here. <laughs> <laughs> no kids or pets to distract or uh, entertain. How, like, how do you think that has played out? Have you guys, you're talking more, you're spending more time just like in silence. Like how has that kind of played out in your relationship? Both of those things. Yeah. And we're, we're gamers too. So a lot of cribbage, you know, the game cribbage. Well, my cribbage experience. So I was, uh, I actually had a, a really bad accident, uh, quite a few years, uh, hit by a car, broke my neck. I spent a bunch of time in hospital and my friend used to come multiple times a week and he taught me cribbage and we just sit there and play cribbage for hours and hours and on. So that's like my, my experience with cribbage. Um, so fun. Have memory. you played it since? Definitely not. Just definitely sitting on the, on, yeah. the, uh, on the shelf somewhere. I'd love to have more time. We have two kids, so that's been like pretty hectic here. But um, maybe we can do a Zoom cribbage, and you can give me a re-lesson of uh, of how to play. We could do it between all your uh, last person standing laps. We just do a quick round of cribbage, and then out for the next lap. That's a good idea. Then you're not thinking about all the sucky stuff you're about. Yeah. Right. You just mind. Could be fun. This has been amazing, Courtney. I really appreciate your time. Uh, as I said, we appreciate your energy. Appreciate the advice. I'm definitely going to be tapping you on the shoulder for more last man standing uh, advice as we get closer here. Uh, and I look forward to I can't wait. You're going to love it. I don't know if I love it. We'll see. Let's see. I'm excited about it though. Yeah. I feel <laughs> nervous enough. I know it means something because I'm so nervous about it. So, um, you know, and it's, and it's incentive to get out the door. So that's uh, that's a positive. Well, thank you so much. Pleasure. I look forward to following your adventures and uh, yeah, I look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Courtney. What a rad human being. I'm so glad to have connected with her and appreciate her for joining the show. On another note, the feedback from this month's project has been amazing. I appreciate the kind words of support and the suggestions for the future direction of the show and potential guests. Please keep the thoughts coming. I look forward to the final days of the I'm Curious to Know project. Please make sure you come back for more amazing conversations with incredible humans from the endurance sports world. Thanks so much for being here. I'm Travis McKenzie, and this is the Inner Voice Podcast.